Now, I think the best thing to do is to get into the book of Joshua. And we have here in the very first chapter this theme, the commission and command of Joshua. And in the first 12 chapters, we're talking about the land entered. And in chapters 12 through 21, the land divided. And then you have the last message of Joshua 23 and 24. Now we have here the land entered and we have the commission and command of Joshua. And the great theme of Joshua is possession. Oh, hold on to that. That's so important to see. And we'll see what that means in just a moment. Possession is the most important word. Now I read a moment ago verse 1. Now let me move down and read verse 2 of chapter 1. He says, Moses, my servant, is dead. As we said in the book of Deuteronomy, Moses is not essential. Moses could not lead them into the land. Moses represents the law. The law cannot save us. The law is not a redeemer. The law is a revealer. It shows that we are sinners. It is never a savior. And Moses could not lead them into the land because of failure. And the problem was not with the law, but the problem was with Moses as the problem is with us today. The law reveals that you and I have fallen short of the glory of God. Moses, my servant, is dead. Only Joshua, Jesus, our Jesus today can lead us into the promised land. Now, therefore, arise, go over this Jordan, thou and all this people, unto the land which I do give to them, even to the children of Israel. Now, let's notice this. The land was given to them. And Israel's ownership was unconditional. God promised it to Abraham and his offspring. And he reaffirmed it and again reaffirmed it in the book of Genesis. Then you will find out, as we saw in the book of Deuteronomy, God made a covenant, the Palestinian covenant, that the land is given to them as everlasting possession. But Now, wait just a minute. Israel's possession was conditional. Now, will you notice this? And I'm reading now verse 3. Every place that the sole of your foot shall tread upon, that have I given unto you, as I said unto Moses. Now, this is very important for us to note here. God says here, that he gives them the land, and the land is theirs, but their enjoyment of it and their possession of it depends upon the fact that every place that the sole of your foot shall tread upon, it's yours, but you've got to go get it. Now today, if I may refer again to the epistle to the Ephesians, We are told that we've been blessed with all spiritual blessings in the heavenlies. And these spiritual blessings are ours. But how many Christians are enjoying these today? Comparatively speaking, very few. They are not laying hold to these great spiritual blessings that are ours. I've told the story before. I'll tell it again because there's some folks tell me I ought to repeat more. 
I don't like to do it, but here goes, that I have a clipping. We'll use it when we get to Ephesians of a man that was in Chicago and Scotland Yard had come from England to find him. He was not a criminal. Actually, this man was an heir to about a $5 million tea estate. His uncle had died, and they couldn't find him. They knew he was somewhere in the United States. They were sure, almost sure he was in Chicago, and they were sure that he was a bum, and they expected to find him in some of the cheap hotels. They looked for him. They didn't find him. And here was a man, an heir to $5 million, and yet he was staying in two-bit rooms at night and actually sleeping in the doorway. I never heard how that came out till afterward, and I was telling the story, and a lady from Chicago came up to me, and she said, Dr. McGee, did you ever hear how that worked out? And I said, no, I never knew. She said, well, they found him, but they found him one morning, dead, frozen to death in a entranceway, a doorway to one of those cheap hotels. He couldn't even pay the 25 cents. He had $5 million. I said to that lady, I said, that's a tragedy to have $5 million and then not be able to pay 25 cents for a room. You know what was wrong? He didn't claim it. He didn't lay hold of it. It was his. Israel owned that land, and they never got all of it. fact, the matter is, they got very little of it. Well, they'd have to walk up and down and lay hold of the land, although God had given it to them. It was theirs as an eternal possession. But if they are to possess it and to enjoy it and get the fruits of it and rejoice in it, why, they must tread upon it. They must go into that land and walk up and down. How are they to walk up and down? They were to lay hold of it, wrest it from an enemy, and a living from the soil, which they did, by the way. But did they do it or did God do it? Well, you have in Ephesians for us, Paul says, I beseech you as a prisoner of the Lord that ye walk worthy of the high calling wherewith you're called. Now, if you and I today are going to possess our spiritual possessions, why, we must walk according to the way God has outlined it for us. It must be in lowliness and meekness with long-suffering, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit, and then to recognize that it is only what God does in and through us that is important, that counts. Therefore, we ought to be able to say, as Joshua was, and as the psalmist David said in Psalm 115:1, Not unto us, O Lord, not unto us, but unto thy name give glory. And today we do not get the victory. He gets the victory. It's possessions that we get. The spiritual blessings become ours when the victory is his. Now again, Paul said to a young preacher, It's not by works of righteousness which we've done, but according to his mercy, he saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit, which he shed abundantly on us through Jesus Christ, our Savior. And then in Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, by grace are ye saved 
through faith, and that not of yourselves, it's the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. And Hebrews 11, 8, by faith Abraham, when he was called to go out unto a place, which he should after receive for an inheritance, obeyed. He went out, not knowing whether he went. Now, he could still be in Ur of the Chaldees and say he believed God, and it wouldn't amount to anything, because his words would be idle words, meaningless words. The way that you reveal your faith is by your action, that is, as far as this world is concerned. Abraham, he moved out. He obeyed God. And that, my friend, is what it means to trust God, is to cast yourself upon him. Now, this man Joshua, he believes God. God's encouraging him and tells him now to step out. And that which is to be his authority will be the Word of God. It's not to depart out of his mouth. He should meditate in it. And the third thing, he's to do according as it is written. And so... That is the formula of faith. That is the method. If there is a method, that is it. And so we have before us here this man now stepping out in a very marvelous, wonderful way. Today, Christians are blessed with all spiritual blessings, and yet some of them die like a bum up in a doorway when they could enter in and lay hold of great spiritual blessings. What a tragedy it is. Well, this book's going to tell us how to lay hold of those possessions, friends, because there's a conflict in the book of Ephesians. We're told something about that conflict. We're told there that we're to put on the whole armor of God. Why? Well, because we've got an enemy, friends, and I mean a real enemy, for we wrestle not against flesh and blood. That's not our enemy today. Ours is a spiritual enemy. But against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Now you've got to have on the whole armor of God. And their victory has to be won. You and I don't get the victory. He gets the victory. The Lord Jesus does. And what we get is what Israel got, deliverance and possession. God gave them every victory that they got. They never won a one of them themselves. God gave it to them. If you and I ever win a victory, we won't win a victory. He has to win it, but he'll win it for us if we will, by faith, enter into these wonderful possessions. Now notice verse 4, "...from the wilderness..." And this Lebanon, even under the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites, and under the great sea toward the going down of the sun shall be your coast. Now, in our notes that we are sending out on Joshua, I have in that a map. And it shows you the land that they did possess. But it doesn't show you all of it. It merely shows you the position of each tribe the twelve tribes in that land. And none of them ever penetrated beyond their limited borders. In other words, God gave to them 300,000 square miles. And the best they ever did was 30,000 square miles. They didn't do very well, did they? About a tenth of what God had promised to them. And today, that's just about what most of us as believers get as our spiritual possession. 
Now he says here to Joshua, "...there shall not any man be able to stand before thee all the days of thy life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with thee. I'll not fail thee nor forsake thee." Now, this man, this average man, Joshua, he needed actually to be encouraged. And God encourages him here in a most wonderful way, you see. He tells him here that this is to be your portion. I won't desert you, God says. Just as I was with Moses, I'll be with you. Now, twice here he says to him, "...be strong and of a good courage." For under this people shalt thou divide for an inheritance the land which I swear unto their fathers to give them. That notice, be strong and of a good courage. Verse 7, Only be thou strong and very courageous, that thou mayest observe to do according to all the law which Moses my servant commanded thee. Turn not from it to the right hand or to the left, that thou mayest prosper whithersoever thou goest. Well, may I say again, God encourages him. Now notice there's something new that is introduced here that's very important for us to see. All important, by the way. Notice he says now, this book of the law. You remember God appeared to Moses and he led him that way. See, there was no written scripture until Moses Now they are not to be led by dreams or appearances. They're to be led by the Word of God primarily. This book of the law, number one, shall not depart out of thy mouth. Number two, thou shalt meditate therein day and night. And third, that thou mayest observe to do according to all that's written therein. For then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. Now, God had given them all they needed to know to enter the land. Therefore, they are not to depart from the written word. They'll meditate in it, and they are to observe to do it. These are the three things. Now, again, he says to them, "...have not I commanded thee?" Be strong and of a good courage. Be not afraid, neither be thou dismayed, for the Lord thy God is with thee whithersoever thou goest. So this man is to take the word of God in one hand and a sword in the other, by the way. And he is to move out by faith and be strong and courageous. Now we come to verse 10. Then Joshua commanded the officers of the people, saying... Now, will you notice he took charge, by the way. This man, Joshua, he didn't do it in presumption, I do not think, but he did it in confidence. He commanded the officers of the people. Why? Because God has told him. And God had said to Moses, you'll recall, God says, I will be with you. You remember when he went down into the land of Egypt after being in Midian? It was with a little fear. But God says to him, I'll be with thy mouth and teach thee what thou shalt say. That's God's method. And God said to Jeremiah when he called him, in a difficult, dark day, they shall fight against thee, but they shall not prevail against thee, for I am with thee, saith the Lord, to deliver thee. And certainly 
You could say, as the psalmist said, the Lord is my helper. Confidence in God and courage against man. That's the thing that characterized Joshua now. God says, I will not fail thee nor forsake thee. And we're told that there are exceeding great and precious promises for us today. And we can say, it's in Hebrews 13, 6, so that we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper, and I'll not fear what man can do unto me. We need this kind of conviction and courage today that we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. You see, when David first said that, he turned his mind and heart away from that which was seen to that which was unseen. It means that he became occupied with the living and true God. And it means that he recognized and realized the spiritual bond was between him and the Lord as had been said to him by another, you are wrapped up in the bundle of life with God. David now can say, the Lord's my helper. He is the one that can deliver me. So this man Joshua commanded the officers of the people, saying, pass through the host. Command the people, saying, prepare you victuals, For within three days ye shall pass over this Jordan to go in to possess the land which the Lord your God giveth you to possess it. Now, the thought that we have suggested, it's in our notes, is that it's possession. That is the great theme of this book. It's a key word. It's the most important one, possession. Israel's ownership to that land was unconditional, but Israel's possession of it was conditional. They had to go in and take it. Now, someone has said the key word is victory. I don't think so. God gets the victory, and Israel gets deliverance and possession. What a wonderful thing that was. You're to go in now and possess the land. But now there's something else I want you to note here that you might pass over. You're going to find that a little later on, when they got into the land, the manna ceased, and they had to depend on the old corn of the land. It's what they captured, actually, because it was old corn. They didn't have a chance to grow it. Now, you have here an interval between the time the manna ceased till they got the old corn. Well, what did they get? Well, they got what was on the land. They were actually now living on the land, and God says for them to prepare victuals for three days. Now, it couldn't have been manna because that did not last but one day, you see. They had to gather it every morning. That's the reason we're told in Scripture in Ephesians, by the way, to be filled with the Spirit. That's not a one-time job. You don't go down to the filling station one time and tell the man at the filling station, fill her up, and then you seal the thing off because you say, I won't ever need any more gas. That'd be presumptuous. It would be foolish be perfectly stupid, but there are a lot of Christians today think that they can have one experience and that's it. My friend, if you're going to walk with him and live for him, you'll need a daily filling of the Holy Spirit of God. 
In fact, I'm not sure about what you'll need it in the morning and in the evening. Well, wait just a minute. I fill up the physical man three times a day. And maybe I ought to fill up the spiritual man three times a day. It wouldn't hurt to wake up in the night and fill him again, because we need a constant filling of the Holy Spirit, of looking to him and resting upon him. Now, we come to something quite interesting here. In verse 12, we're told, "...and to the Reubenites, and to the Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh spake Joshua, saying..." Now, here are the two tribes, Reuben and Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh. Now, you'll recall that they had come to Moses, and they asked for land on the east side of the Jordan River." other words, they were not to cross over. And they actually were asking for land on the wrong side of the Jordan River. Their possessions are on the wrong side. Now, a lot of believers are just like that today. We haven't got to the crossing of the Jordan yet. When we get to that, we're going to see a great spiritual truth. The crossing of the Jordan River is not our crossing in death into heaven. That's not it at all. When I stood on the banks of the Jordan River and I thought of that song, On Jordan's stormy banks, I stand and cast a wistful eye. You know, I had to laugh how utterly ridiculous that song really is. May I say to you, that's a muddy little stream where I was down at Jericho, It was a mighty little thing. Several of the group wanted to be baptized there. And I said, no, not me. I think you could catch every disease under the sun being baptized in that dirty water that is there. And somebody's going to say, my, you're, sir, being irreverent about that holy, sacred Jordan River. Well, friends, you can take a look at it for yourself, and there's nothing very attractive about it. Now, what does it speak of? It speaks of the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Christ. And you and I possess our spiritual possessions through the death and burial and resurrection of Jesus Christ. If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ is at the right hand of God. That's what the writer, Paul, said to the Colossians. And I believe that that's the thing that believers need to do today, is to seek those things which are above. Now, you get that by crossing the Jordan River. Now, here are two and a half tribes. They didn't cross over. And there are a great many Christians today that are living the Christian life, not knowing that they've been buried with him, In his death and burial and resurrection, they do not reckon on it, and they do not yield themselves to him. Then they wonder what's wrong with their Christian life. Well, this is what's wrong with it, my friend. This is a rich section, you see. And Joshua says, Remember the word which Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you, saying, The Lord your God hath given you rest and hath given you this land. Your wives and your little ones, your cattle, shall remain in the land which Moses gave you on this side Jordan. But ye shall pass before your brethren armed all the mighty men of valor and help them. 
In other words, the army of the two and a half tribes did have to cross over. They did have to enter in. Because you can't fight the Lord's battles, friends, without his victory. That is the thing. You have to put on the whole armor of God, you see. And that armor of God is Christ. That armor is his work of redemption for us. And that's the only way you're going to be able to fight. That's the great message that is there. But we're going to see that again. But when we get to the book of Judges, you're going to find out they made a big mistake in staying on the wrong side of the Jordan River. And you remember when Christ crossed the Sea of Galilee and he came to the country, the Gadarenes? What were they doing? They were in the pig business. You know, they started off on the wrong side of Jordan. A lot of Christians today in the pig business, and they ought to enter into the rest he's provided in his death and resurrection. That's in the book of Joshua here, by the way. 